spirit that knows where she's going. And the rest of you, if you would open your Bibles to that old familiar place, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Speaking of Pastor Dave Silvernail, uh, many years ago, Jan and I took a cross-country motorcycle trip and we went up into the Rocky Mountain National Park in July and it was uh, snow on the ground. It's 11,700 and something feet up and our motorcycles didn't like the lack of oxygen. Um, but we got through it and Dave Silvernail uh, took a trip to Estes Park and he was going to Rocky Mountain National Park, and I was telling him how incredibly gorgeous it was, and I had a text message from him on my phone on Saturday, and he said, uh, we're at the pass, 11,792 feet, it's incredible um, when you get up there and you see what God has done, uh, and you think about how beautiful this earth is, and yet, it's not even any comparison um, to what uh, heaven is going to be like. Let's pray before we come to God's Word. Lord, we do thank You for Your Word. Lord, that You've caused it to be written down by those inspired by Yourself. That You've preserved it throughout the centuries. That we could learn from it and learn who You are. That You sent Your Son, the Incarnate Word, to live out the promises that You've given in Your Holy Scriptures. To show us what kind of a God you are and how you keep your promises to those with whom you have cut a covenant. Lord, as we come to these verses this morning, let us not be bored by having been through them several weeks. But let us focus, Lord, by the power and wisdom of your Holy Spirit on the fact that we must be holy and acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. I grew up in a Baptist church and uh, did all the Baptist things, royal ambassadors and prayer meetings and um, all that kind of Sunday school and all that kind of stuff. was not a Christian by any stretch of the imagination. But I remember we moved to uh, Lake Wales, Florida, and uh, we were about half a block down the street from a holiness church. Um, holy rollers, they were called. And uh, if you've never been to a worship service like that, um, they praised the Lord. They would dance and they would sing and they didn't have a big sound system, but we heard them every Sunday morning, even half a block away. But they were readily identifiable because the women wore long dresses, no jewelry, no makeup, their hair in buns or long and straight. The men always went to worship in suits. During the week, the people didn't laugh much or really seem to enjoy life, except on Sunday morning when they were worshiping. The people to us seemed to live their lives by a set of rules that always said no. There was a little ditty that us teenage boys used to talk about. Actually, it was originally for girls, but we kind of adapted it. That we don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't go with girls that do. Uh, that was pretty much what the holiness folks was all about. They didn't do this, they didn't do that, and they didn't go with people that did. 
But is that what the Bible is really urging us to do? Is that the kind of holiness that the Scripture talks about? Paul says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We're going to focus this morning just on on the two parts, a holy sacrifice acceptable to God. What does it mean to be holy and acceptable to God? Well, James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary says, Today, holiness is largely uh, forgotten as being unimportant for Christians. We do not try to be holy. And we hardly know what holiness means. And we do not look for holiness in others. The great parish minister and revival preacher Robert Murray McShane once said, My people's greatest need is my personal holiness. But pulpit committees hardly look for holiness in a new pastor today. They look for a winsome personality, communication skills, administrative ability, and other such things. And as for ourselves, we do not seek out books or tapes on holiness or attend seminars designed to draw us closer to God. We want seminars entitled How to Be Happy, How to Raise Children, How to Have a Good Sex Life, how to succeed in business, and so on. So what really is holiness? Well, I was given a gift many years ago of Webster's American Dictionary of the Eight English Language. I think it's the 1878 version. And it defines holy as properly, whole, entire, or perfect in a moral sense. Hence, being pure in heart, temper, or disposition. Free from sin and sinful affections. Applied to the supreme being, holy signifies perfectly pure, immaculate, and complete in moral character. And man is more or less holy as his heart is more or less sanctified or purified from evil dispositions. We call a man holy when his heart is conformed in some degree to the image of God. And his life is regulated By the divine precepts. The second definition. Hallowed. Consecrated. Or set apart to a sacred use. Or to the service or worship of God. A sense frequent in scripture. What you see in scripture is that holy is set apart. It's hallowed. It's absolutely different from unholy or common. I was reading in my devotionals this morning in Acts 10, uh, where Peter has this vision of the sheep that comes down out of heaven. And God says, take Peter, kill or sacrifice and eat. And Peter's just aghast. And he goes, oh, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unholy or common. You see what Peter recognizes, he was following the Judaic law. He only had kosher food, only that food which has been blessed. And he says, Lord, I've never eaten anything common, unholy. And so what we need to understand is that holy is different. Common is different from God. Unholy. Barnes's commentary says holy means properly without blemish or defect. No other sacrifice could be made to God. 
The Jews were expressly forbid to offer what was lame or blind or in any way deformed. Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Deuteronomy again, uh, Malachi 1.8. If offered without any of these defects, the sacrifice was regarded as holy. That is, appropriately set apart or consecrated to God. In like manner, we are to consecrate to God our best faculties, the vigor of our minds and talents and time, not the feebleness of sickness merely, nor old age alone, not time which we cannot otherwise employ, but the first vigor and energies of the mind and body, our youth and health and strength. Our sacrifice to God is to be not divided, separate, but it is to be entire and complete. The sacrifice is to be free from sin. It is not to be divided and broken and polluted service. It is to be with the best affections of our hearts and lives. You see, holy means set apart for God's use and His use alone. Well, what does it mean to be acceptable to God? Webster's again says that acceptable uh, is that which may be received with pleasure. Hence, pleasing to a receiver, gratifying as an acceptable present, agreeable or pleasing in person as a man makes himself acceptable by his services or civilities. The Greek word literally is well-pleasing. It's made up of of two other words, and it means, in essence, fully agreeable. Well, why does Paul urge us to present ourselves, our bodies, a holy and acceptable or well-pleasing sacrifice? Well, one, it's a command of God. If you go back to Leviticus 11, verses 44 and 45, God says in that passage, for I am Yahweh, your God, consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy for I am holy and you shall not make for yourselves. You shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm in the earth. For I am Yahweh who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus, you shall be holy as I am holy. Leviticus 19, 1 through 4. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, Yahweh your God, am holy. Every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths, for I am Yahweh your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves molten gods. I am Yahweh your God. 1 Peter 1, 14 and 16 through 16. Peter writes, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Over and over and over again. The Bible commands us to be holy because we are the people of God, because we are in Christ and He is holy. Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all men and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's an awesome verse when you think about it. The holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
No one can come before God who is common or unholy. Why? God is perfect and demands a perfect sacrifice. That's the only thing He will accept. We've got a problem, don't we? None of us, none of you are perfect. I'm not sure. No, none of us are perfect. Okay? We all know what's in our hearts. We might look perfect on the outside, but we know what's inside. And we know that none of us can meet God's standard. Paul has spent 11 chapters in the book of Romans proving just that to be true. There is none righteous. Not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Romans 3, 23. There is no one on this earth who has ever lived or ever will live human person who has done good. Just one, Jesus Christ, who was divine and human. The Bible teaches the bad news. There's only one way to meet the standard of perfection that God requires. All have sinned, Paul says, and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 no one can meet God's standard. And every one of us, no matter how good we might seem to our neighbors, no matter how good we might think of ourselves, every one of us deserves hell. But the good news is that Jesus Christ met the standard that God requires. Therefore, you must believe and trust and rest in that perfect finished work of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul has been saying all along. He's saying we can't do it. Only Christ did it. And therefore, he says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of what he has already done, present your bodies, your whole self, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Do everything you can to strive to meet God's standard understanding that you're not going to make it except in Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's free. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to do anything. God has already done it for you. All you got to do is accept it and trust in His finished work. And once you have it, you're never going to lose it. And once you have it, you're never under condemnation from God. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore, now, once you have it, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Only Christ Jesus meets God's standard of perfection. He alone was a perfect high priest. That's the message of Hebrews. He alone presented a perfect sacrifice himself to God. He alone 
is acceptable, well-pleasing to God. In all three of the Gospels, in the story of, of the baptism of Jesus Christ, they all say essentially the same thing. But Matthew 3.17 says that when Jesus was baptized, John heard a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Peter, describing the events on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration, you remember when he and James and John were, went up with Christ onto the mountain, Christ was transfigured before them. He writes about that in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. For when Christ received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to Him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. Peter says, we heard God say, this is my son and him I am well pleased. And it's only as we are in Christ that God is well pleased with us. How then can we do what Paul and the rest of Scripture urges us to do? Some of us look at the Bible and we see it as a system of don'ts. We're a lot like the when we saw the holy rollers back in my youth, you know, we saw them as as people who had this long list of you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do the other. But see, that's not what Scripture is all about. Scripture is all about Christ has done it all. And what you have to do is trust in his finished work. First, you must acknowledge that you cannot meet God's standard. None of us can meet that standard on our own. You may be sitting here this morning thinking of yourself as a pretty good person. After all, you've never murdered anybody. Have you? Jesus says if you've been angry at your brother, you're guilty of murder. I think every person here meets that criteria. You may have never committed adultery. Have you? God says if you go after other gods, you've committed adultery. If you've looked at the spouse of another with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. You certainly aren't a Hitler or a Jeffrey Dahmer. Many of you may be sitting here this morning thinking of yourself as deserving of God's consideration of your good works. You've done a lot. You give a lot. You give regularly. You may even come to church regularly when there's nothing else on your schedule. God requires perfection. You may think of yourself as not nearly as bad as others around you. Many of us are like the Pharisee. Oh Lord, I thank You that I'm not like others. I tithe. I pray. I'm a good guy, Lord. You must understand that compared to a holy, holy, holy God, 
You are unacceptable and in desperate need of a Savior. Every one of us needs a Savior. You must understand and acknowledge that only in Christ can anyone hope to be acceptable to God. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means to trust in His work, not your own. In Christ means that you have accepted Him as Lord and Savior. You acknowledge that He is Lord. I can remember when I was becoming a Christian, God was leading me to it. I read a lot of books and I prayed a lot. And I began to realize that what Jesus says in the Bible is true. And if what Jesus says in the Bible is true, then He's God. He is the Creator. And if that's true, then I owed Him absolute obedience. I don't always do that. Ask Jan, she'll tell you. But I try. Sometimes. But I'm trusting in His finished work. In Christ. means that you're trying in the power of the Holy Spirit, to live your life according to His standard, knowing that you're not going to make it. You're going to fall short. Paul calls himself the chief of all sinners. He wrote three-fourths of the New Testament. But practically, what does it mean to be holy and acceptable to God? 1 Peter 1, 14-16 says, As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. We are to be holy as obedient children. What does that mean? Well, Jesus gives us the, the answer in John 14, 13, uh, 14, 15. If you love me, if you look upon me as Father and Lord and Savior, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because we are children of God, we demonstrate our love for Him by obeying His commands. And one of those commands, and the very first one we need to, uh, to do, is to repent of our sin. The word repent means to turn from our sin to God. Change the direction of our lives. Peter says, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours. I can remember the kinds of things I was doing before I was, before God saved me. I can remember the kind of thoughts I had, the kind of deeds I did. I was a good guy. Everybody looked up to, looked up to me. But in here. But you have to change direction. You must be holy in all your behavior. You know, when you read in Scripture, I tell people, look for the little words. Man, that's an awesome word. A-L-L. Oh, that's tough. All your behavior. You mean I can't get mad at my wife when she doesn't do it the way I want her to? You mean I can't get mad at the guy who cuts me off on the freeway? You mean I can't... Oh, oh Lord, how am I going to do that? I can't do that. 
I have to trust in Christ. Your sacrifice of your body cannot be divided. You cannot give your body to God on Sunday morning and live the other six days as if God wasn't around. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. If you're a young person here, if you're a child, God is speaking to you and saying, you must be obedient to your parents. That's not a popular message in our culture today. Children are taught, you're your own person, do your own thing. And the Bible says you've got to obey your parents in all things. That means not only should you be obedient to the commands of God your Father, but you obey your parents as long as those commands do not conflict with Scripture. And that brings up a couple of things. Number one, you've got to know what the Bible says. And your fathers ought to be teaching you that. You're learning that in Sunday school. You're learning that in church. So you ought to know what Scripture says so that when your parents tell you to do something that's contrary to Scripture, that's the only time you can stand up and say, excuse me, Dad. God says, I can't do that. Every other time, you don't question your parents when they tell you to do something. You must obey them as if they were Jesus Christ. Because they represent Christ to you. Or should. That means that you don't whine and cry when things don't go the way you think they should. Ephesians 5, verses 8 and 10 says, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. You must be trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. I don't know how many Christians I've met over the years of being a pastor who hadn't a clue what was pleasing to the Lord. They never read the Bible. Trying to learn what is pleasing to Him means you must be in His Word. You can't learn it by just hanging around. You cannot learn what is pleasing to Him unless you read and learn what He has commanded. You must keep the Sabbath holy. Leviticus 19, Exodus 20, verse 8. What does that mean really to keep the Sabbath holy? The minimum that it means is that you should be in worship with other Christians one day out of seven. That's a commandment of God, the creator of the universe, and you. He doesn't give us any leeway. He doesn't say, if nothing is conflicting with your schedule, if you're not doing this or not doing that, He says, you will keep one day out of seven holy to Me. At a minimum, it means that you should be focused on worship and not what you're going to be doing later today. Have you ever wondered why it is that we have a call to worship? It means this is the point in the service where you're to put aside the things that have been distracting you all morning. 
It's the point in the service where you're called into the presence of the almighty, holy, holy, holy God to focus your attention upon him and not on the things around you. At a minimum, it means you should be paying attention to God's word as it is read and preached and sung rather than paying attention to what others are doing or wearing or saying. You must have no other gods before God the Father. Leviticus 19, 1 through 4, Exodus 20, verse 3. What does that mean? Really? It means that God must be the number one priority in your life. Numero uno. You must place obedience to Him above your spouse, your children, your career, others, and yourself. We're way down on the totem pole, folks. Our culture says we're number one. Looking out for number one. I'm okay, but I'm not sure about you. God says you must be humble. And you must be focused on me. If you're a child, you must place God and obedience to Him above your parents, your friends, even what you would like to do. If you're a teenager or a preteen and in our culture today, people are surrounding you and telling you to do this, do that, and participate in this and do the other. But God is saying, pay attention to me. Obey your parents. If you're an adult, you must place God and obedience to Him above your spouse, your family, your friends, your career, and even what you would like to do. Sometimes, obedience to God is really hard. You know, when someone says something to me that's like a nice stuck in your gut, first thing I want to do is go, pow! <laughs> Get back at them. God says you can't do that. God says you have to behave like Christ. Christian means Christ one. So if we're a Christian, we have to behave like Christ. And I don't know about you, but that's really, really hard. In short... You must obey the commandment of Jesus, who said in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, You shall love the Lord your God with all, oops, there's that word again, all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as Yourself, In the sense of the word there, and I've heard, sure you've heard it preached before, the sense of the, the original language there is love your neighbor as you already do yourself. All of us love ourselves. We're, we're pretty good people, right? We wouldn't do anything to hurt ourselves. We have to behave with other people in that same way. You see, it's only... By demonstrating your love for God, by obedience to His commands, that you can demonstrate that He 
has made you holy in Christ Jesus. It's only by demonstrating your love for God, by obedience to His commands, that you can know that you are in Christ and therefore holy and acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Not by what you've done, but by what He has done. May each of you here have that sure and certain knowledge that you can stand before God on that day holy and well-pleasing to God and be welcomed into His presence for eternity. Let's pray together.